0: Okay, welcome back to Roadcase everybody. I'm so psyched to be here. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. Thanks for joining me for this episode with Andrew Marlin of Watch House. I'm really excited for everyone to to hear this conversation I had with Andrew. If you're here for Andrew Marlin for the first time, thanks for being here. Really happy to have you. And if you are a continuing repeat listener, thanks so much for your support. And I'm super psyched that you're along for this episode as well. Um, As I do, uh, normally I want to remind everybody that there are a couple different ways you can get involved in the road case community. Uh, first off and super easy is that you can follow us on social medias. Uh, we're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And my handle is at Roadcase pod. Uh, you can find out uh, all about the guests and such. Uh, we also have a website, www.roadcasepod.com. And there you can find out more information about the show, a little bit more information about me, the host, and uh, another great way to get involved with Roadcase. Is to follow this on your favorite listening platform, and you can do that. Uh, for example, on Spotify, just click on the little button up on the top right-hand corner, and you'll get notices as to when we get updates with this uh, uh, with every episode. And uh, for on Apple Podcasts, you just scroll down a little bit, and you can uh, follow. Um, Follow us and you can rate and review this podcast as well. Um, Just scroll down a little bit, uh, see where it says rate and review, throw down a couple stars and uh, maybe review this and say a couple words. It really helps out the podcast a lot. And I really, really appreciate your support. So for this episode, I've got Andrew Marlin of Watch House. And Watch House used to be known as Mandolin Orange, which he started with his wife, Emily France, uh, about 10 years ago. Um, Really, really beautiful music that they produce. It's just stunning uh, bluegrass folk Americana. I just really, really love it. Um, They started out back in 2010 on kind of the DIY uh, program. And Emily was doing all the management and booking at that point and you know they were sleeping in a honda odyssey in walmart parking lots uh to hear andrew talk about it and now they're they just recently headlined at red rocks on october 7th uh, which was only a couple weeks ago or a week ago and earlier this summer they were at newport folk which is uh which is amazing we'll talk about everything uh in between as well andrew just put out uh two uh instrumental albums um during the pandemic, uh, the first witching hour of 2021 uh, and Fable and Fire as well earlier this year, uh, their new album and latest album and first album under the name Watch House uh, is the self-entitled album also produced by Andrew and Josh Kaufman as well. Andrew is a uh, is Quiet and contemplative, but he's um, his ideas and his music and his uh, vocals and lyrics are very profound and talk come from an extremely personal place. And um, uh, we go really deep in this conversation. And I really loved that uh, about Andrew. Learned a ton about him, and I'm really excited to share this uh, this interview with everybody out there. So thanks again for being here, and thanks for your support of Roadcase. I'm so psyched to share this uh, this conversation with you, and I want to send a special thank you to Andrew Marlin, again, for being here on this episode of Roadcase, and here we go. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining me on Roadcase, man. It's so great to see you.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, so you're in um, you're in North Carolina, right? I mean, true to your roots.
1: Yeah, that's so where born and raised, and settled down here. So,
0: right on. So, b- born are you in kind of the same area where you grew up?
1: Uh, I grew up like an hour and a half northeast of Chapel Hill, where I live now. So, right on the Virginia line.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. I, like I was telling you, I haven't been to North Carolina, but I need to go and I need to, there's so many great towns there and so many great venues. I want to visit the Orange Peel and Asheville and um all that great stuff. But um is, is growing up in North Carolina, did that kind of, obviously that influenced your, it's it sounds like it influenced your, your music. I mean, there's so much of that, the high lonesome sound and uh, the Americana and mandolin and bluegrass. Is that sort of a thing for you? Then, growing up?
1: Growing up, it wasn't. I I was more, you know, I listened to a lot of, like, <laughs> pop country growing up, you know, and that's what my folks listened to and yeah. listened to a lot of gospel music. And then, I, yeah, I got into, like, pretty hard rock and heavy metal for a while in high school. And then I guess it wasn't until I was about I think, 19 when I finally actually picked up a mandolin. Um, mm,
0: 19. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and just... Fell in love with the music and fell in love with fiddle tunes and kind of just dove in from there.
0: Wow. So, yeah, because I had heard somewhere that you, I don't know, they're asking like what your band influences were and you were talking about Pearl Jam and and i thought yeah that's kind of, that's that's really cool and it's not like the first bluegrass influenced um a musician that i've heard that's like kind of heavy metalish or like you know just hard rock has come over to bluegrass and i have those two things going on in my brain as well so you know i really love that
1: <laughs> yeah i think you know um the thing i really love about bluegrass music um is how accessible the music is, even for people that don't know each other, you know, and I think.
0: How accessible, what did you say?
1: Yeah, accessible, Uh you know, just like the tunes are, they're just easy to fall in with, you know, and I think, you know, I've spent many nights like in Norway with bands where I can't even speak the language, but we know all of these old Bill Monroe tunes so we can just sit there and play all night, you know, and that's something that I, I never found in heavy metal or hard rock, you know, just the communal aspect of just being able to sit down and and play this, you know, just collection of tunes. Hmm. You're
0: saying that y- what you're playing now, you feel is accessible
1: worldwide. Uh, well, I was saying like bluegrass is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think from there, you know, we've taken it on our own paths. And I guess that's what people do. But like being able to go back and play those standards with, other uh, people that are that have a common knowledge of the, those tunes, I think is it's really fun, you know, and a great way to build friendships all over the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how does that relate to your love of heavy metal early on or or, or tunes that aren't necessarily uh, bluegrass or folk-oriented?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when I was listening to heavy metal and especially Pearl Jam, you know, that was a very confusing time for me. You know, that was mm. uh, <laughs> like 15, 16, 17. Yeah. You know, not really knowing myself that well. And I, I feel like those tunes were, were touching on that part. You know, it's a very aggressive, it was a very aggressive time for me just cause, um, you know, that's, that's how all of that pent up energy came out, you know, wanting to, yeah. wanting to find myself and wanting to establish myself as an adult, but not really having the wisdom or the knowledge to do so, mm. you know, it's pretty infuriating at that age. Mm.
0: So are you saying that's kids music and what you're doing now is adult music
1: <laughs> no that's you
0: putting words in my mouth yeah, no no, yeah. <laughs> no no but um, uh, so yeah so there's kind of like an angst but um, and you know we can get deeper into this but there was something that sort of drew you what, what was kind of the first moment where you were like oh I really kind of like this other sort of music that feels a little bit more mellow but speaks to me a whole bunch
1: yeah I think when I first heard Tony Rice play, it was, um, one of those aha moments because mm. you know, his command of the fretboard and just his tone that he could get out of an acoustic guitar to me was, um, very enchanting. And I, I just wanted to learn how to do that, you know, and, and yeah. listen to as much of that as possible. And so from there, I just kind of found a lot of other bands based on the people that had been playing in his band, you know, like Sam Bush, Jerry Douglas, uh yeah. um, Vassar Clements, um, which is I mean, to me I think one of his, he's one of the most expressive players ever, you know but yeah um, So yeah, so just a lot of, I don't know, almost like pinballing, you know, just like listening then to like Sam Bush records and figure out who's playing there and like you know finding Norman Blake and then going off and listening to Norman Blake and finding John Har- John Hartford, you know and so um, just all of this you know connectivity all, all throughout all of these records.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? There's such a there's such a huge world with that. But um um now you've 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 changed the name from uh from Mandolin Orange to Watch House and there's I've as I'm scrolling through and doing some research, I'm like Wow. Well, if you want to get a lot of press and a lot of attention and have a lot of people ask you questions, change the name of the band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Except you'll just answer the same question over and over.
0: You'll... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I understood you wanted a break. I mean, you can. So I'll kind of describe it a little bit. It sounds like you sort of wanted a break from the past and sort of move forward in a very definitive way. And that kind of meant changing the name for you. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that is that would that be a correct understanding?
1: Yeah, I think that was well said. I, you know, um, we're kind of just tired of the old name, you know, and I feel like the new one has some really beautiful intentions behind it and uh, yeah. kind of gives us, you know, repurposes everything.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting statement to make. And certainly it's your it's your project. It's your your band. You do whatever you you do. You, <laughs> Andrew, you do whatever you want. Right. I mean, um. On the other hand, uh, and I'm not saying this is a negative, I'm just kinda of making the observations, a lot of bands that kinda of change a little bit of sonic direction, but just don't change the name. Was there something about the name that you felt was I know you've mentioned in a couple of different things that that was kind of my twenty year old self. Um was there something where you felt like he really like needed this definitive break and just didn't want to be called that anymore, obviously?
1: Yeah, I mean I think the the writings on the wall there. We we wouldn't have changed it if we didn't feel like we needed to. Yeah, um, yeah. So
0: well, what was that thing? What, um, how did that kind of thinking go? I'm so curious about, um, because it it seems to be very personal. Um, what was sort of the thought behind, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a courageous move, right? Um, you know, there's, you've been identified as mandolin orange for almost 10 years. You did five albums as that. And, um, um, I don't know. How, how's it been? How's it felt? Like, how's it, what's been the kind of perception and the, and the reception for it? Or people just do, do, uh, uh, have you been pleased with that or do you even care?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely care. And it seems, um, it seems positive. I mean, I think people are seeing it for what it is, which is just that, you know, a decision we made to stay as true to ourselves and to the music that we're making as possible. So I think like, I would hope that the people that are coming to listen to us would want us to to be ourselves. You yeah. Know? Um, and it seems like that, that space is there and that acceptance is there. And there's always going to be you know, some you know, negativity towards that as well, people that really identified with the name Mandolin Orange and, and the sound that that represented. But I think it takes time, you know, and we're just going to have to get out and play shows as Watch House. And, and for some of those fans, I think we might have to do – you know, a reconnection on this.
0: But yeah. We're, well,
1: we're willing to do that and, and love to play the show. So well,
0: well for those that. that are listening that are meant that have been along for the whole ride, I mean, just listen to the latest album. Uh, it's produced by Josh Kaufman and it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just great. It's great. Thank you. Um, And watch house represents like a, a space for you or can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. It was more like one,
0: place. one more time just for me. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. I can talk to your, to your fans now. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Thanks.
1: Um, but yeah, so the, the watch house was a place that I grew up going to, um, it was in the marsh, uh, in the Chesapeake Bay. It's like two miles offshore, you know? And so, uh, these family friends would take me and we would just go fishing and, you know, boat riding and swimming and, mm. you know, crabbing and all those good things. And it just like, it was just the best time to just get away from school and work and just go hang out with my buds, you know, and, um, there was no electricity there. So, you know, no, uh, hmm. no plugging in and, and staying connected that way. Um, and so it felt like a true escape, you know, you were just there and, and in the marsh and it was wonderful, you know, and yeah. so I kind of, in thinking about where i want people to feel like they can go when they listen to our music is a very similar place just in their minds you know like that yeah. that place where only the closest friends are welcome and you can kind of get away and um just listen you know?
0: yeah that's interesting cuz when i listen to your albums uh especially this this latest one i mean i i i, I do feel that it's it's a kind of a very meditative or contemplative sort of feeling I, I mean i've gotten those from your from all of your albums but it is something where you know um they beca- it, it it is kind of quieter and more solemn in some respects um but yeah that, that kind of that, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense for sure so yeah um you have uh and so this album this latest album um you had produced uh, and finished pre-pandemic. Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, like three weeks before everything shut down.
0: Right, right. And then during this pandemic, you've produced two albums under your own name that are purely in- instrumental. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about those a little bit? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I think the older I get, the more I just love instrumental music. You know, I love how immediate it is and how, um, you know, it can kind of just evolve as you listen to it, because you're not having lyrics to dictate how you should be feeling. You know, it's just all purely based on um, just mood, really. It's just, they're like little mood pieces. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. um, And I I really love that, you know? And so I, I think during the pandemic, obviously I still needed ways to, get together and play with my friends and figure out ways to express myself. And I think, you know, I I've talked to a lot of musicians that the same thing where they just turned to the studio because that was our only option since we couldn't play shows. And right, I just had all of these uh, instrumentals just kind of built up, you know, and stored on my phone. And so I started sending them out to my friends and we ended up getting together and you know, doing all the safety precautions, you know, it's like quarantining and right. tests and stuff like that and getting yeah, yeah. together and just playing in a room together and making making two records that way.
0: So the dude with the incredible, incredibly beautiful voice <laughs> decides to make two solo instrumental albums.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt good to give my voice a break, you know, and uh just concentrate on the, on the mandolin, you know, because that's also another part of my
0: voice you know it's just yeah no no absolutely uh, I mean you know I I like I like to I like to goof around and say and you know that's just my style but yeah no it sort of definitely occurred to me it's like this guy's got such an amazing voice but yeah totally man totally um and uh and you have a new uh you have now a baby girl who's like uh what is she she's three now
1: yeah, about to be. She'll, in September she'll be three.
0: Oh, ah, the terrible twos under lockdown. That must have been amazing.
1: <laughs> Man, you know it wasn't that terrible. She uh, she somehow didn't go there. I don't. I I've talked to a lot of friends who have kids, and I, they all say the same thing. I no, know the terrible twos, but she's just a really chill kid. You know, a really fun kid. And uh, I I don't know if it's because she was on a tour bus at three months old or mm-hmm. what, but like mm-hmm. she's she's used to just kind of going with the flow of things. And I, I feel
0: that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That, that's, that's awesome. So, well, congratulations on having a kid and getting, getting this far. And, uh, I got three kids. I got, uh, my oldest is 24 and then I got 19 and 16 year old two the two Ooh. oldest are girls. So I've been down that road, man. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I've that's, been, uh, yeah. Three. Wow. That's, uh, I guess you, you've come up on some pretty big milestones then with them, but we just sent Ruby off to uh, preschool for the first time, which felt like a huge one.
0: I know. Well, it all fine, you know, it's not, yeah, they're all big milestones, man. Yeah. Then it gets to be going away to college, getting your first apartment, getting your first job, you know, full-time job, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. And it just happens. And they're just sort of farther away or maybe not so far away sometimes, hopefully. But, um, how did that impact you? And, uh, now just for those of people that are listening mandolin orange is uh is uh is you and emily france your wife who is um uh you know you're the two primary uh individuals in the in mandolin orange now watch house so um how is that dynamic working with uh with emily um over the years and how has that kind of shaped where uh the band has been going
1: that's great i mean I, I talk to a lot of people and they wonder who, like how we do it, you know, uh, <laughs> being in a, being a couple in a band, but to me, it seems easier than having to leave behind somebody, you know? And like, um, like if I was just gone all the time and leaving Emily at home with Ruby or vice versa, it's like, that would be a really big strain on the relationship. Um, yeah. and it's nice to just be able to share these experiences and not Mm. have to recount them. Every time I come home, you know, we can just like, um, just live it together. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I love it, man. I think, you know, I I don't, I wouldn't change anything about it.
0: How'd that kind of, how'd that start? Did you guys meet on the road, meet as musicians? Did you, did you create the band together after you had already met?
1: Yeah. So I was, when I first moved to Chapel Hill, I was 19 years old and I kind of, you know, just did like open mics and stuff like that for Mm. a few years. And and then when I met Emily was just at a bluegrass jam and, uh, yeah, from there we decided to start playing together. I had some, some pretty very, very low profile gigs and you know, (laughs) she was such a amazing fiddle player. I just asked her if she wanted to come play fiddle and sing some harmony on some of my tunes. And from there we just started booking more and more gigs, you know, and she, uh, she just has this ability to to see where she wants to go and, like, put her mind to it and do it, you know. So I think um, I would probably still be playing open mics <laughs> and playing really? those same low-profile gigs had it not been, like, for her tenacity, you know, and, and willingness to put in a lot of work to keep building the profile.
0: Interesting. So she was sort of the impetus to get you out there to do bigger gigs or book yourself or um, kind of just move forward in a direction. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how so? Uh,
1: what, like I was just saying, you know, she's just got a good brain for that and a good work ethic for me. It's like, I'll just, I'll just bury my head in tunes all day, you know? And unfortunately that's not enough to, uh, to get you a good gig. So, yeah.
0: She kind of sounds like she was functioning as sort of the, the business side manager kind of, you know, de facto manager um early on but that be a uh, accurate assumption or accurate assessment
1: yeah for sure and um you know she she wears many hats and uh you know helping me to arrange the tunes after I'd written them and um you know figuring out how we want to do things in the studio mm-hmm. you know we we're just yeah it was it was fun in the beginning you know to to kind of learn everything just by trial you know, and I, a lot of that was her just being willing to write people and ask them or, you know, call venues and see if they, you know, she could get us a gig. So, uh, yeah, so even still to this day, you know, we, we've got other people to do all those jobs for us, but she still like has her finger on like, you know, on the mouse clicking on every email, making sure things are doing what they ought to be doing.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Well, when you've done something and then you hire someone to do that same job, you're a <clears throat> you can be like uh, you know you're a good manager, but you're also kind of the nightmare manager that knows everything that, that the people that you hire are doing even better than they do sometimes. But but that's an asset, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, I think so. I mean, it, we our manager of like nine, almost nine years now, Jimmy is like you know when he and Emily put their heads together. It is, it is quite a pair. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's good to have someone like her on your side for sure. And which you agree with cause you married her. How long were you guys, were, were you, um, were you married before you started? When was your first album was like a couple take like 10, 11 years ago now?
1: Yeah, it was 2010. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't actually get married until 2000. 17, I think it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. I should I should know that, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you time just said is,
0: it, maybe, you know.
1: Yeah, time <laughs> is wild sometimes.
0: Let me know if you want to edit that out, that part. Oh, uh, it's it. all
1: good. She, <laughs> I don't want to, like, cause heard, any marital heard, uh, strife. It's heard worse for me so, uh, you know, than me just forgetting a date.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's always... Y- y- there's always another bottom in the, when you're married, <laughs> there's, oh, I thought that was bottom yesterday, huh? <laughs> um, so, uh, let's, let's go back to like early on in touring. Tell me a little bit about, um, how that kind of started for you. You said you started open mics and, uh, and, uh, you didn't, and you picked up the mandolin at like 19, right? You said, so that was sort of coincided with doing open mics and, um. Uh, what was that? What was that like for you? Uh, then did you, did you kind of have a sense that this is a beginning of something that you knew you wanted to make a life out of, or was it just playing because you loved it or, or both?
1: Yeah, I think more both. I, I kind of always knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, and you know, I started writing songs when I was like 14, you know, and that was, I just dove in and like that's what I started focusing on. And, um, so, yeah, I think from there, you know, after doing some open mics, uh, we were mainly doing, I was playing a lot more guitar and Emily was playing a lot more fiddle. And uh, I just wasn't quite ready to play mandolin on stage yet. I didn't have my chops down, you mm-hmm. um, know. And so as the shows, you know, kept coming, I, I just kept practicing on the mandolin. And uh, every now and then we would throw a song in there, maybe like one or two songs on the mandolin. Until now, it's like I basically just, hold the mandolin the whole set. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I remember in the early days, you know, we had this uh, Honda Odyssey and we had taken all the seats out and just had a blow up mattress in the back of it. And we would find either a hotel parking lot or a Walgreens parking lot or a Walmart parking lot. (laughs) And, uh, that's where we would sleep, you know? And, uh, Are those like the
0: friendly places to like park your minivan? They're like, oh yeah, there's someone there, just whatever. We won't even bang on the door or whatever.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we definitely had, we were asked to leave a few parking lots, but for the most part, uh, people left us alone. Mm -hmm. uh, But those are, you know, super fun. We got to know a lot of people that way just because, you know, staying at folks' houses and and doing smaller shows, you just, you get to know everybody who comes to the show. Um, Yeah. And we still see those people, you know, out in the, around the country. And it's just, it's kind of crazy to think back on, you know, to think, uh, think we did that, you know, and that was, it was a hard way to live. But at the time we were just having a blast and yeah, know, getting to see the country together.
0: Yeah. It's an asset to be able to sleep in your car for sure. Like have that be an acceptable form of accommodation.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, if we had to do it all over, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we would be as gung-ho, but...
0: Well, it's hard to put yourself back in the 20-something mindset, right? It's like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, know. Yeah, if you had to do it again now and you know what you know now, you maybe, <laughs> I don't know, didn't cause brain damage or anything. Builds character.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were drinking a lot, so maybe that did, but no, sleeping in the van did not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and was that all before was that prior to the albums or you had albums out and were touring those albums then on a DIY basis? Sort of how did that growth kind of look?
1: Yeah, that was probably, I guess right around when quiet little room came out in 2010. Um, let's see. Haste make hard, harder stranger was 2011. So probably those two records, you know, definitely pushing those and not wanting to spend the money on hotel rooms. Right. And was that more
0: of like regional, um, touring that you were doing or um yeah
1: mainly mainly east coast and southeast touring you know and and slowly working our way west
0: uh uh-huh and that's when emily was booking the shows
1: yeah yeah we um i guess we didn't get a booking agent until like 2013 or something like that so right yeah she was she and our manager were working hard during those times and having to send out a lot of emails
0: i don't Yeah, that's a a, a lot of work, man. It's a a lot lot of work.
1: work. And, you know, we definitely, it makes us appreciate having folks to do that for us these days, you know. And and especially the agent that we have, Josh Brinkman, is just a super hardworking guy and and always fun to hang out with, too. And, you know, I feel like we've been very fortunate to build up a whole crew of people that we work with on stage and off stage that we Mm -hmm. Just love you know they're just good friends and are now family so yeah very fortunate in that in that way
0: yeah was it i i haven't seen i i didn't start seeing you guys until about 2018 or 2019 so pretty recently but um had you toured when did you sort of make a transition to touring with a band for example
1: we we had done bands in the past um like around 2011 or 12 you know we we did a few various like lineups, but mm-hmm. never really could get comfortable ourselves in the band. You know, we were just like so comfortable as a duo that um, yeah. it made it hard to play with others sometimes. And so we we set that aside for a few years and just decided to only tour as a duo. And I think it was in 2016 when we made Blindfaller that we decided to actually take the band that we recorded with out on the road, and it. It was cool. We just started learning more and more of how to play with a band and the more we got used to it and the more we got comfortable with it, the more I started finding that I could write songs that fit into the whole band uh, concept a little better than what I'd done in the past. And so, Hmm. you know, I think from there, you know, comes the evolution from Blindfather to Tides of a Teardrop, which to me feels much more like a band record than even Blindfather did.
0: Yeah, i love tides of a teardrop that um, <clears throat> that was kind of when I first started to listen to you guys. But um, uh, does that does it um, allow you to kind of explore other sorts of emotional content knowing that you'll have a little bit more of a punch with uh, with a band behind you in in some ways?
1: Yeah, and I think I, the thing I really love about the band is that I can I can leave entire sections just open just to see what we end up doing with the band, you know, Mm. instead of trying to arrange everything. Um, because with the duo, um, everything is just so delicate and you, you kind of always have to be on, but I love how in a band you can just stop playing sometimes, you know what I mean? And like the (laughs) band's still there and still turning and, uh, you know, you don't have to be this, um, you know, this constant part of the, of the rhythm. And, that, that to me is very freeing, especially when singing on, on stage. Sometimes I'll just hold the mandolin instead of, you know, trying to play chords along and, and sing. And it allows me to focus on exactly what I want to be throwing out to the crowd.
0: Do you miss that, that, uh, immediacy and pressure when you're just out there as a, as a duo?
1: Yeah, definitely. And we still, you know, we usually will do some duo songs in the set. And mm,
0: yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we still go out and play, um, you know, whole duo sets, you know, it's just a, it's a completely different way to play. And, you know, um, I'm glad we had all that practice to, to get good at doing that. Cause I do think when it's time for us to improvise in the band, you know, we've got that much more confidence when it comes time to do that. And, um, yeah, it's just two. it's almost like just two hats that we now can wear.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, something you said before just about playing open mics and not being so comfortable with the mandolin at the uh, initially um how much of the the tradition of sort of competitive playing in bluegrass and americana in a sense um does do do you feel that pressure to be a particular type of uh of player or did you feel that early on
1: i think i felt it a little bit early on because i was the reason i even started playing the mandolin was because a local bluegrass band their mandolin player left and so i had to kind of fill in you know just <laughs> uh, on a whim and i mean everybody in that band was so good you know they could play just all the licks and play all the songs and so i didn't want to get left behind or look like a fool on stage you yeah, know? Um, yeah and so i you know started diving in and doing a lot of practicing but it was it was more just so i could keep up and like have that common ground with those guys you know it wasn't necessarily a competitive thing um, I think it was just a drive to be able to to share that language with those guys um, but yeah I, I one of my mantras is always to tell people that music is not a sport you know that yeah. like, and I think I think some people lose that you know and I, it's great when you when you see like a fiddler who's won a bunch of competitions or you know really tries to you know, pursue that lifestyle. It's amazing the things that they can pull off and it is awesome. But I think for me, it's always just been more song based. Even when I go to, you know, play a solo or, or write an instrumental, it still very much has to be about the melody, you know, and about yeah. the chords and the way those interact.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, and that's just, that's cause I'm a fan of, and that's why I'm a fan of your music. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, technical prowess is just fucking amazing sometimes. But, um, yeah, you guys, just, you, you seem like you've got this sense of the song in a, in a real, in a very kind of organic way that definitely comes across in your live shows. Um, and it's super, it's, it's super beautiful, you know, and, um, uh, that you're using mandolin and guitar and fiddle is, is just one particular component. Um, what do you, uh, like, cause you're in the bluegrass world and um what are what are your thoughts on like i I spoke to paul hoffman the other day of green sky bluegrass what's um what are your thoughts on the jam grass world and bluegrass world that kind of like you know uh string dusters yonder mountain green sky leftover salmon those kind of those kind of folks uh play and represent where do you kind of see them
1: um i see them as friends and you know as uh you know, inspirations. I think they, I I love going to festivals and seeing them play and the way they just like can from start to finish, just have this arc that like just pulls the, pulls the crowd in and just makes them feel so many things. I think between the amazing light shows and then, you know, these long improvisational moments. um, It's a, it's a wild, it's wild music, you know, like it's live music. And I, I love that, you know, and I think, uh, as Emily and I continue to do what we do, there's a lot of what those guys do that we try to take on, you know, in our own way where it's, you kind of offer a break from the lyrics sometimes and just have just an improvisational moment for people to kind of hang on the end of their seat by, you know, like, um, and we're doing the same thing. We don't know what the hell we're going to play or like how it's going to come out. You just kind of go for it. And I think um, Green Sky is great about doing that. And especially, you know, you watch leftover and, Andy, uh, Andy Thorne, and the banjo player, is a longtime friend of mine. And ah, mm-hmm. Just, you know, watching him just go out there and just, you know, just destroy the banjo. It's not, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think there's a difference in, in what those guys are doing and the kind of competitive style that you were talking about. You know, yeah. they're diving into the music and, and playing as hard as they can for the sake of the song and for the sake of the energy of the crowd, you know, and I think that's a different, it's a different thing. It's a, I think to people that maybe don't know the music quite as well, they would hear, you know, somebody shred a solo, say like on a leftover salmon tune and not really hear a big difference between that and say like a competition fiddle piece, you know? But yeah. like, but I think the, the difference is in the energy of it and the, the spirit of it and where that's coming from and the road that it ends up taking, you know, even if it's totally. a lot of the same notes being played. Um, so that was a long way to, to answer your question, but... Um, I like the I long, I
0: like the long way, Andrew.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> to, uh, to sum it all up, <laughs> um, yeah, I just find it really inspiring that they can, that they can really move a crowd the way they do. Mm. You know, And I'd, I would love to someday figure out how to do that with our own music. I
0: think, I think you do. And I think, uh, I didn't, I've never seen you and Emily play, uh, as a, as a duo, except on like tiny desk and other things. But, <clears throat> uh, Well, I guess if you said that you're doing, you're playing as a duo, um, when you were playing with the band, you know, when you had the band, for example, with tides of a teardrop, perhaps I I have seen you, but, um, yeah, there's, there's something that just moves along, uh, the song and whether it's jamming or whether it's the energy of the band. I mean, I think that you certainly, you do accomplish that you, um, what I'm so struck with, like, um, Golden Embers, for example, when the bass finally comes in in that song, we're kind of drilling down really specifically on a particular song, but um, that's that's where the juice is. That's such a beautiful moment, and you sort of do really add to that on a very emotional level by having the band behind you on on a, on a song particularly like that one.
1: Yeah, I love when uh, we've actually uh, been playing that one a lot lately now that we've kind of gotten back to shows and we started now where the ba- the band just is in from the start and uh it's oh, really, really fun to just kind of to just kind of cruise it you know and then to have that uh that groove shift during that part um you know and add some new textures because we've got nat smith who's playing cello and keys with us now and uh, mm-hmm. and bring in different textures instead of waiting for the whole band to come in but i do remember when we made that recording um you know, it was just me playing guitar and singing and Emily we playing fiddle and singing. And then when the band finally got there, because we did that track live in the studio, when it uh-huh. finally came in and the headphones and like the whole song just expanded right yes, there in the headphones. yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels yeah, so yeah. good.
0: Dude, I, I, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it. <laughs> and uh, when I saw you play at Thalia Hall in Chicago, that was that's definitely the moment, you know. That's a great song. And Thanks. I just, I need to tell you like here, like <laughs> that song kills me. I mean, and my mom's still around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm sorry for what you went through and I can feel that pain, but the way you put it into words and the beauty of that beginning with the Cadillac coming to take her, take her for a ride. They, yeah.
1: It It's a, that was one of those things. It took me a long time to write it. You I bet know, it, it did, it, man. It <laughs> took me a long time to figure out how to say what I wanted to say to my dad and to my family and, mm. um, once I opened that box, man, that, that whole record kind of just fell out, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's that like for you to, to dig deep into those, uh, into that level of emotion to do that?
1: Um, it's necessary, you know, and now that I've started doing it, um, I think it's one of the things that kind of led us to change the name. You know, I started Mm -hmm. realizing that I didn't have to, I didn't have to shy away from that, that people, receptive to these super personal songs and Mm. for me it it feels great to write them and it feels great to share them and it just makes me want to just continue to dive deeper you know
0: was there something early on where you felt like you weren't getting the kind of um uh, i don't want to say recognition but that that the songs weren't being recognized for what you wanted them to be
1: no it's more just you know i mean it's like it's little little boosts of confidence here and there, you know, that, Mm. that end up chipping away at all of these anxieties that I've had over the years and about, you know, sharing, sharing a a really dark part of my uh, personality or, you know, just internal being. Uh, And then also, you know, trying to take a solo and sing this song to people. There's a lot to, there's a lot to bear right there. Um, Mm. But I think, But I think I'm now just trying to own that, you know, and just, just to convince myself that this is, this is what I want to be doing. And this is when I feel the most complete is when I'm actually doing these things. So why not just give myself over to it as fully as I can?
0: Yeah. Was that something like early on? Was that, was it kind of, was it different for you? Was it something where, um, you were either not singing from such a personal level or was there, was there kind of a moment when you started to go super deep and know that that was going to be okay?
1: I think, yeah, I guess it was more just like not knowing I could do that because I didn't really exercise that muscle very much, you know? And Mm. so I kind of, you know, it's the same old thing. Everybody talks about being nervous on stage and I think, I've never met a performer that wasn't at some point super nervous to step on stage, you know, and I, yeah. it takes, it takes everybody, you know, a certain amount of time to get more and more comfortable with it. And I think for me, um, it probably wasn't until I felt a little more confident on the mandolin and felt really strongly about the new tunes and to where I actually felt I'd, like I'd put in enough work, to where I didn't have to think about it as much anymore on stage. I could just go out there and feel it, you know?
0: Interesting. So it was <clears throat> coming from a very, uh, a place of kind of deep, um, emotional honesty and vulnerability for you. It was also a consideration of how can I bear that on stage and also like keep my shit together enough to play.
1: Basically. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Like, like, it's just like the emotion, like your hands are just shaking and you're like all fucked up and how am I going to play the guitar?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about singing, you know, I'm up there singing about the death of my mom and talking to my dad about, you know, the things that we don't talk about (laughs) and like, you know, and thinking about him hearing that for the first time, you know, probably at a show and, uh, there's just a lot to to grapple with there, you know, Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: I, so. I, feel, I feel you, man. So how did, how was that? Like, do you remember the first time he did that?
1: Yeah, he was, you know, he, he never said anything about it. He just kind of like in his own way, um, acknowledged the fact that he heard the song, you know, and, and from there, I mean, like now, um, you know, we'll tell little stories about her and, and talk about how he misses her, you know, and, you know, it's those little things where. You start to realize that your, your parents are human and that y'all can, can have like a normal human interaction with them. Yeah. I do think it, it knocked down some barriers and, and now when we get together, we can just hang out and there's not this, this tension, you know, when I look into his eyes and know that we both suffered a, a, a pretty devastating loss there, you know, we can, we can kind of laugh about it a little bit and say, well, here we are, we're still alive. We got each other, you know?
0: Wow yeah that's deep man that's deep um i'm just trying to process that myself man (laughs) i think that's um that's really cool there's so many different things that you were talking about i mean not only like death the relationship with your parents and that um adult child relationship as well where you know you can sit down and talk to your parents about that kind of stuff and uh (laughs) you know, cause I struggle with that my own self. Like I got kids like 24 to 16 and there's like a varying levels of not wanting to talk to me, you know, yeah, at any sure. one time and to have an adult conversation. Is your, is your dad a little bit of a stoic, it sounds like, or someone with whom you didn't necessarily have like the best relationship with uh growing up?
1: Yeah, I think he and I are pretty similar. I mean, I've, I've gotten, Better about talking about my emotions. I think therapy helps, <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. also writing songs and like yeah. having people come up and you know they describe to me their life experiences and how the song that I've written fits into their life. You know, and it definitely it starts to chip away at those at those you know little walls and barriers that mm. are, get built up over time. And you know, I'm a much more open person now. But I think for my dad, it's uh, he's never really had those experiences to chip. Chip away at those walls, you know, and to chip away at those barriers. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe my songwriting is also good for him, is what I'm starting to kind of see. That I think he's proud of me and Emily for what we're doing, and I, I know he loves the fact that I'm getting to do, you know, kind of chase my dream down, you know, and yeah. and then through that he's also listening to the record so that he can talk to me about my passions, you know, and about what I love, and you know, obviously you can't listen to my songs and not, you know, find out a great deal about who I am as a person. So mm-hmm. I think for him, he's kind of like in some ways getting to know me through these songs that I'm writing. And then when we get together, it just feels like, you know, we know each other a little bit better. i I need him to write songs so I can find out more about himself, but uh,
0: <laughs> well, we can always ask him stuff too.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he can't sing for shit. So uh, maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't invite him into the bad, man.
1: Yeah. No, but, yeah, no. So it's been it's been cool, you know. And I think I think just getting older and having a kid too also kind of leveled the playing field, where it's just like mm. I'm just a dude with a kid too, and now I see that my dad's just a dude with a kid, you know. Like yeah. I've always he's always been my dad, but now I see him kind of as just another guy, you know. And and that's that's fun for me to be able to talk to him like a an adult,
0: right. Well, in many ways, I'm sure he's your biggest fan. Right. And he like has, it's interesting because he's discovering about you through the music, like you said. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that love your music and admire you as a songwriter are as well.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's nice to share. Glad to have listeners related or not. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. They don't all have to be related. We consider ourselves family, but you know, that's just um, Well. You mentioned how um, you're you're sort of operating, you were sort of a Stoic, but no one would really know. So what's your definition of a Stoic? And I'm asking that because your songs are so personal. You know, you got over a hump of like, well, yeah, maybe I'm, what is? let me just ask, what is Stoic, what does that word mean to you? And how do you um, reconcile that with being able to talk about yourself during songs?
1: Yeah, I think. I think for me, stoicism kind of makes its way into my life outside of music, you know, and that's where I'm more broody, you know, and more just like looking at the world and kind of analyzing it and Mm. not necessarily always, um, speaking that, you know, I'm not, I'm having fun right now talking to you, but I'm not always the best conversationalist. You know, if there's three people to have a conversation, I'm usually the one that just listens. Um, Mm -hmm. and, Oh, well, I, I take back that.
0: what I said about wanting to have Emily on the show, too, The I wouldn't have gotten able to talk to you. Oh,
1: yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that is true. We've actually talked about that, how a lot of times when we're on interviews together, sometimes I don't get much in just because I'm happy to just wait my turn, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's where it comes in. And my dad's the same way, you know. And he's always the guy just, you know, sitting in the corner watching everything happen. And he's happy to be there. And he's happy to see, like his grandkids running around and his kids having conversation and, you know, his yeah. friends there, you know, but he, he doesn't have, feel like he has to be right there in the middle of it in order to have a good time.
0: Right. Well, I mean, still waters run deep, I guess, Andrew, cause like, I know I just have to prod you a little bit and stuff's going to come out.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it might not be potable. <laughs> but, uh...
0: <laughs> there you go. Touche, man. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like a, a live performance you guys did with the, was, with the, the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. Did that happen or was that during pandemic or that was uh oh, that was in January, right? Of 2020. That was in
1: January 2020. And that was gotta be one of the top three shows we've ever been a part of, you know, um, just the arrangements and uh, the conductor, the way those two things came together. I mean obviously the the musicians as well but the conductor was on fire that night man. Oh, really. In the song. Oh yeah, he was like he was part of the band. He was right there with us and like watching Joe our drummer for cues and it was it felt like we were jamming with the biggest band you've ever played with. Wow, that's um,
0: fucking cool, dude.
1: It was so cool. And of course like um it's like classic but uh we recorded every show on that run you know Mm. and so we get home after that long run and uh the only shows we had were like three shows for some reason they all got wiped off the hard drives and so we don't have the colorado symphony recording and uh one of the few ones that we had was from austin you know from the live at acl yeah and so we ended up putting that one out but like we we had this grand plan to just like go through all of them and and put out a few live records and, you know, hard drives just didn't hold up. <laughs> the hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, because I wanted to listen to that show, you know, because it was one thing to be a part of it and like to to be playing with this just, you know, massive sound. Um, but I would have loved to have been able to just like step outside of myself and hear how it was all working together. And they, and they never
0: got that. a good recording of it?
1: I don't know if they did or not. Actually, I should ask, but we we did not. So, um, wow. Oh, well, yeah, you should, know,
0: it's like a live music, man. It just goes out there.
1: <laughs> it's true. Which I kind of, I kind of don't, I don't hate, you know what I mean? Because for the people there, that was a special night. And I, I felt like Emily and I were, um, just both just beaming, you know, and it felt like everyone yeah. in the crowd was too. Um, and so maybe like hearing it back, not being in that space and not being able to see everyone's faces, it might be, Lead me to maybe maybe probably, you probably you probably would have loved it.
0: it you can rationalize that you're not too pissed about not being able to listen to it that's fine yeah, i'll, exactly. I'll, that's I'll, what I'm trying I'll let be. you go on it's yeah. fine i'll let you go on <laughs> i just want you to feel good about yourself
1: let me
0: console myself man. <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to i gotta call you out on that one dude yeah um <laughs> yeah no but there is there's is a beauty in just like hey once the music garcia was like you know hey what you can have it well it's it, this is kind of conflating two separate issues is the one of like can we can like audience members record music but garcia yeah. was always like hey once it's out there it's gone you can do what you want with it right you know yeah that was the roots re- and but then i go to like a jam band show like goose that i love and they you know i'm like oh that was such a great jam but and i get to hear it again you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is kind of which is cool. Also, did you so tell me, did you uh, did you how long did you rehearse with the the orchestra before you did them?
1: They, they gave us uh, an hour the first day and like two hours the second day. And that was it. Wow. Um, so we basically which is kind of wild for us because like we don't we don't really count measures or anything like that. You know, we kind of just have just open sections when it comes time to take solos and mm. um and so I was talking to the conductor about that. And he said, don't worry about it, man. Just do what you do. We'll follow you. He's got. Yeah. He's like, so shut up,
0: dude. We're professional musicians here at the Colorado Symphony Orchestra.
1: Yeah, exactly. They, <laughs> and, but if, for me, it just seems like such a, you know, it's like trying to, trying to turn a oil tanker. You know what I mean? Whereas like when it's just a five piece band that plays together all the time, it's like, right. it's like turning a little Johnny boat. It's easy. Yeah. You know, we can easy to maneuver, but you get that many people in there and all of a sudden it's that's a big ship to turn, you know? Yeah. Um, But did
0: it, did it, how did it work? Kind of, did you look at the conductor, give him a cue that you were going someplace else? Then he'd give the, how, like what's the chain of command?
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. So basically the guy who wrote, I can't remember the guy's name. And so I feel, I feel bad about that. If he hears this, Um, but I'm sure it can be, it can be looked up. But, uh, the guy who did the arrangements for the tunes left some of those sections open and said, this could be free. And so Mm. the, And so basically the conductor knew like, okay, we're just going to jam on this chord progression until they give me the cue that we're changing, you know, we're going to the next section. Hmm. So yeah, that's what, that's what I meant by like, um, it felt like the conductor was just another part of the band, you know, that we were, we were actually jamming with him, you know, it was cool that they could do that.
0: That is really cool. So that, how'd that feel? You said it was like, like, you said it was like playing with the biggest something or other.
1: Yeah, it was, it was the biggest band ever, but also, I mean, it kind of felt like floating, you know, because uh, there's something really cool about that many, um, you know, like strings and horns playing together to where it kind of emphasizes the negative space in a really beautiful way because mm. it's not it's not mic'd like right here in your face, you know, it's kind of got this really roomy feel. And so it almost, it's almost just like coloring in the negative space in a really beautiful way where... Mm. um they, I don't, I I guess it was written into the arrangements where it just wasn't crowded. Somehow all of those instruments didn't crowd the music. It just allowed what we normally do as a five piece band, um, you know, to kind of go there and to feel totally comfortable and at home in that space. Yeah. And then it was just this roomy negative space that was super musical kind of wrapped around it. Um,
0: and your own, your own music. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and so yeah it was a it was a wild experience it, yeah
0: it, wow fuck now i want to listen to the recording god it
1: i know say, but but it's okay it was thrown out there it was just uh you'll do it again you'll do it again someday hopefully yeah, now hope that i'm so. thinking
0: about it colorado symphony orchestra did a flame with play with the flaming lips and did one of their older albums i think a soft bulletin at red rocks so i'm sure yeah. they've done that a whole bunch i guess because so many people come through so many great bands and uh, artists come through colorado i don't know yeah i, they, know.
1: I mean they were they were on it man i i can't imagine that they would ever meet a come up to a challenge that they couldn't meet you know
0: oh for sure right yeah professional yeah. musicians man you're 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 used to working with those kind of people right
1: yeah uh, well some folks are better than others <laughs> 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 um,
0: red rocks man so t- talk to me about red rocks for you and um, i know you opened for avets i think that was well, like in 2019 i did avets and i think 20 18 um but um and you're headlining Red Rocks I think I've got down October 7th of this yeah. year so uh wow dude
1: <laughs> pretty pretty crazy yeah um yeah I mean it, I don't even know what to think man to be honest like that it's such a a large space <laughs> that like the thought of reaching that many people with our quiet tunes feels a little daunting but then mm. but then you go there and you step on stage and it's such a sacred place you know it mm-hmm. really is um, mm-hmm. and i think people people go to red rocks to to just kind of take in whatever the band brings you know yep. and and i love that space for that it sounds incredible it's visually like one of the most pleasing places you could possibly go totally um, you know and i think especially thinking about right now with COVID and us coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, um, is, you know, imagine that many people getting together is going to be quite a feeling. Um, and I think it's a feeling that we all need, you know, cause, um, I don't know, I, it, this is kind of, this is a, a stoner thought, but, uh, <laughs> I like those. You <laughs> know, I mean, just from the, the sheer fact that we're like 70% water, you know, and like, you know, you get that many people together, And I feel like there's so much, you know, all feeling the same vibration from the music. Like, I think that's where this huge disconnect is right now is that we're not actually coming together and feeling those vibrations together and it's driving us apart and it's driving us crazy. It's driving me crazy. Um, but like if you watch water on a window, it'll, it'll come down and that there's another like droplet, over to the right, it'll make its way over there to it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I love that. (laughs) What the fuck uh, is that about? (laughs) It's, it's magic. It's, it is. It's like, it's my, it's magic. And I think that we're all, you know, we're all part of that same power. We're all part of that same vibrational, um, pull. And so I love the thought of that many people getting together and it's all like diving in and talking about these super personal things and and Mm. thinking about them, you know, and I hope, it can continue to happen. I know that, like you said, you know, more and more uh, venues and organizations are starting to require vaccinations. And yeah, it's like, whatever we got to do to keep music alive, I'm all for it because uh, I miss getting to do it.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, a couple things like getting together with that many people anywhere and listening to music is a great experience. And then at Red Rocks, it really amplifies it because of the kind of physical nature of that entire place. And sort of the, the vibrational feel of that. I don't think I've ever Absolutely. used the term vibrational feel, but I'm going to right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all vibration isn't it.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, music is vibration, right. And in that, in that environment. And, um, uh, yeah, Andrew, you're totally right, man. We need it. Everyone needs it. You know, Get vaxxed, show your proof of vax. And like, um, I, so, you know, we're, it's the podcasting world and, uh, we're talking into the future here because I'll, I'll publish this and, um, you know, in several weeks. Um, but, uh, you know, today AEG said that they're going to require vaccination, not just vaccination and negative tests. So, um, that's kind of a interesting development. And we were talking about that beforehand, but yeah, everyone needs that, man. Everyone needs that. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, I'm glad to see that so many, um, that so many performers in so many venues are just making that effort that we are not shutting this fucker down again, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I can't, I don't know. I can't see a future where we could actually survive that again. That was, that was brutal, you know? Um, more so than economically, I think just you know spiritually speaking, yeah, I I, I need to be out there playing, man, and I and I, I can't can't tell you how good it felt to finally step back on stage and start playing again. Um, so yeah, I think we're all we're all feeling that, and we're all gonna hold on to it for dear life.
0: Well, yeah, except certain measures need to be taken. I mean, just today, um, cause I was following them, String Cheese incident, uh, one of the guys in the band got COVID and they had to cancel their two shows from this weekend in Indian Columbus. Right. Um, you know, it's getting closer and closer. You know, it's, it was like first it's crew, then it's somebody else, then it's like band members, but you know, um, It can happen but like not shutting down the entire tour i understand like stevie nicks has to do it because she's she can't get covid you know she's much older so um yeah yeah, just measures need to be taken and people need to wear masks shows you know i wasn't that great about i didn't want to wear a mask at a show and i thought it was great that we were back and we didn't have to but clearly that's not going to be a thing for a while
1: yeah i think uh i know yeah it does feel like we're taking a step back but i guess whatever whatever we got to do to to keep it happening and keep people safe. Well, I'm you know, taking a step.
0: it's This is a minor. It's like two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, we thought we didn't need to wear masks at shows. Now we're wearing masks, but we're still getting shows.
1: We're still getting shows, exactly.
0: <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm excited uh, for you. Uh, what's it feel like to get kind of the prospect of getting out there? You guys have been playing shows. You have some fall stuff planned. and um,
1: Doing some festivals and doing, uh, you know, a lot of outdoor events right now and I, uh, I know what, I mean, not to keep talking about COVID, but it's, it's hard to, well, it's hard not to, yeah, no shit. Um, it's hard to play indoors right now, but I feel like that's, that's my favorite, you know, when we Mm. have that container and so like everything, all that, um, you know, all the sound just gets trapped in this building, which I really, I love, you know, instead of just dissipating out into the, into the sky there, um. But yeah, so we've been doing a lot of outdoor shows and a lot of festivals and, um, that's been great getting to see all of our friends again and yeah. get back out on stage. So well, yeah, a, a busy fall ahead of us.
0: Oh yeah, everyone's got a busy fall, you know, fans have a busy fall. It's hard work being a fan of live music. That's true. <laughs>
1: a lot of catch up right now.
0: I know. Everybody going out. Um, but when, when you said, um, you like playing indoors a little bit cause kind of things get captured, um, talk to me a little bit about that. Does that mean kind of an energetic feel um, or vibrational feel like we were talking about or because from an acoustic standpoint, that can kind of sometimes be a negative.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, all of the above, I think like it changes the focus. It changes uh, just the way you feel the instruments, you know, Mm -hmm. you can actually feel the space around you vibrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, I just think it seems to be, at least for our music, we kind of, we like that container, you know? Mm. Um, and so I, I can't wait uh, you know, we've got the Ryman coming up in September. I'm oh, hoping man. that, um, we got two nights there. I'm hoping that the, there won't be any, you know, setbacks with that. So we'll see what happens. But that, talk about a magical place to play indoors.
0: Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I was just there and took a tour, walked around a little bit um, back in June. That was really cool. (laughs) That's an amazing place. Did you get to
1: step on stage and like take your picture in the microphone?
0: I didn't do that because there was just the (laughs) the line was too long. I just went up there and just, no, I did not do that. I kind of acted yep. like I'd been there before and just took a bunch of pictures and looked at the, did the museum kind of stuff. I liked the memorabilia nice. and like different outfits that people wore and, uh, they played this, somebody gave them a, a guitar and, you know, totally. the museum exhibits and stuff. Um, yeah, such an amazing, uh, an amazing venue. You get the feel for what that's really like. Yeah. I need to see, um, I need to see a show there. It'd be great to see you guys there too. But, um.
1: Well, come on, come on over. Yeah,
0: I should, I should. Um, but thanks for, thanks for spending the time with me, Andrew. This has been great to get to know you a little bit and, and get to know the music and your background. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to, to stop on by and talk about Watch House.
1: Yeah, hey man. I appreciate you having me on, Josh. It's been a, it's been a fun one. I feel like uh, it. You know, we slowly bloomed into a great conversation. Yeah, that's the way it <laughs>
0: happens, man. <Yeah. laughs> that's the magic. Totally. That's the magic. It is that. Uh, All right, man. Thanks. Cool. See you, now. Okay, that was Andrew Marlin. I just love that conversation with Andrew. Man, we went in some great... Some great spaces, and uh, really got to go get down and talk about uh, andrew 's personal thoughts about uh, not only uh, creating these songs but the relationship that he has with his own songs and uh, also enjoyed talking about uh, the relationship with um, with his wife and how they get back out on the road and how that 's a little bit easier I mean he you know said very simply it 's better to go out on the road uh, with everyone than 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 leave his wife behind and uh, and uh, so that was um very telling and, uh, and true, obviously. Um, you know, the, the songs are just so incredibly personal, but um, I loved how we talked about how uh, uh, Andrew saying how he feels great to write them, and he also feels great to share them with everybody. And uh, he also mentioned how he feels complete when doing those deep songs. And um, I was really, um, really intrigued by uh, how he talked about how the difficulty of doing those songs helped Andrew to open up even more um, and especially in his relationship with his dad, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, we talked about, uh, particularly the song that I really love golden embers and how that deals with the uh, death of his mom and how that affected, uh, that affected his dad and, uh, brought to light, uh, his relationship with his, with his father, um, really, really appreciate Andrew opening up. And, um, I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope that you all did as well. Um, well want to remind everybody that Andrew's got two new solo albums out, Witching Hour and Fable and Fire that I really encourage everyone to go out and listen to and of course watch house has their new entitled self um the new self-titled album watch house that came out earlier this year so i really encourage everyone to listen to that one as well it's produced by andrew as well as josh kaufman uh it's a really really beautiful work um and of course the earlier albums by mandolin orange are just stupendous um and I uh, want to thank everybody for being here for this episode of Roadcase. Really appreciate you being here, and I appreciate your support. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We're at RoadcasePod. And, of course, you can email me with any questions you have. I'm at info at RoadcasePod.com. Questions, concerns, etc. So thanks again for being here, and I want to send a special thank you to Andrew Marlin for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Walzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road.